Welcome back. Uh, I realized last week when we talked about Parsha's Vayekel that it was actually a double Parsha, and we also read Parsha Pikude, um, and we normally each year read those two Parshas together. So uh, since I didn't mention Parsha Pikude last week, I want to catch up and discuss it real quickly. And what I want to first mention was um, I was at synagogue and was at Chabad and read um, a, um, a quick thought from the Lubavitcher Rebbe about the meaning of the Parshas. And it was, I thought it was a really fascinating um, thought, and I wanted to share it. So what's more important, the team, the giant community, or the individual parts? And there's a friction between the whole and its parts, and it's encapsulated by the two Parshas, Vayekel and Pekude. So Vayekel means assembled, as in Moshe assembled in Hebrew. And there are many ways in which, which we... Um, which we can describe gather, but in particular with Vayekel, it emphasizes how the assembled members merge to form a whole, to form an assembly. Pekude means counting, an idea where we're stressing the worth of the individual, how every person counts as a separate entity. So it's interesting we're bringing these two parshas together. The Torah is teaching us to harmonize these two opposing qualities, and we can look at a number of ways how we can express this. So Vayekel represents quality in our divine service. Uh, when we merge with a greater whole, we have a qualitatively superior experience, right? The, the, the singing of, of a whole group together makes a, gives a quality uh, to the experience that you wouldn't have if it was just one person singing. Um, and, um, but Bakudi, on the other hand, represents the advantage of quantity, okay? If you had... Um, uh, multiple people individually doing their own thing, um, th that's also very powerful, but in a different way. Um, just the, the, the multitude of people working on the same common task, even if they're working independently. Uh, let's look at this another way. Bayeko represents a penetrating view of the world where the details of existence pale away to reveal a holistic spiritual mass. The realization that there's nothing but Hashem. Pekude represents a smaller version of the world, where every detail is seen in its own right, with the understanding that every detail reveals God's glory in its own way. And in one other way of looking at this, Vayekel teaches us that however low a person may be, he's still part of the communal whole, and thereby associated with the leaders of the community. Pekude teaches that however low a person may be, he still has his own unique talents, which God did not give to any other person. So again, there's this there's this um, dichotomy here of the assembly and the individual. And, and one thing I thought about with this was just how looking at a relationship with God, uh, we can look at it in the macrocosmo and the microcosmo. The, you know, when I think of, of the wonders of, of science and, and God's contribution to this world, you can look at that from uh, the complexity of the whole, of the of the cosmos and universe and stars and just thinking how majestic that is. But also you can look at it in the micro. You can look at it the small individual detail. Take a simple cell and put it under a microscope and see how complex that is and say there must be some sort of intelligent design that's led to this amazing uh, complex creature we call life, even if it's a one-celled organism. So I just thought that was an interesting introduction to share how those how the two parshas really seem to be 
uh, two ends of a spectrum and, and connected. But let's go into uh, Pekude a little bit more, and let's look at Rabbi Sachs's essay on this called Making Space. Again, this is from Judaism's Life-Changing Ideas. So um, Rabbi Sachs talks about how, how much time the Torah takes in discussing all the details of building the tabernacle, building the Mishkan. Uh, we, we go through multiple parshas discussing this, and what he uh, mentions is there's so much connection between the end, the closing chapters of Exodus, which is this week's Parsha, and the beginning of Genesis. And there's a connection there. Um, there's a lot of language used that's very similar, um, the same, a very similar sentence structure in terms of, um, in Genesis, God's blessing, God completes the work. Um, in Exodus, Moses' blessing, Moses is completing the work. How the heavens and the earth are being created by God, and here the tabernacle and the tent of meeting are completed by man. So there's there's some there's some connection between this, and what 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 the Torah wants us to do is connect the birth of the universe with the building of the Mishkan, and what how Rabbi Sachs frames this is that Genesis begins with God creating the universe as a home for humankind. And Exodus ends with human beings, the Israelites, creating the sanctuary as a home for God. So they're almost like inverses. But the parallel goes much deeper than this, and is telling us about the very nature of the difference between Kodesh and Chol, between sacred and secular, holy and the mundane. So there's this idea of Simsum attributed to Rabbi Isaac Luria, who's the great Kabbalist, and it means self-effacement or self-limitation. And Luria was perplexed with the question, if God exists, how can the universe exist? Because the infinite's going to crowd out the finite. So for God to exist in this world alongside of us, he has to exercise self-limitation, simsum. He has to limit himself to allow us to exist. Otherwise, you know, being an omnipotent, omnipresent, force that we don't even understand. There, there'd be no room for anything else. So, so God has to hide himself. He has to screen his presence, limit his being, and that's the idea of simsum. So let's look at, back at the key words kodesh and chol. So one of the root meanings of chol is empty. So chol is the space vacated by God through the process of self-limitation so that a physical universe can exist. Is It's as if we're emptied of the pure divine light. Now, Kodesh is the result of a parallel process in the opposite direction. It's the space that we vacate and set aside for God's presence so we can feel God in our midst. It's, so it's a result of our own simsim. We have to separate to, allow, to make sure there's a space for Kodesh, for holiness. And we engage in this self-limitation every week on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, when we you know, set aside our devices and desires in order to act on the basis of God's will, not our own. So this is why the details of the sanctuary are described in such length over multiple parshas. It's to show that every feature of its design was not humanly invented, but God-given. That's why the human equivalent of the word good in the Genesis creation is as the Lord commanded Moses. When we nullify our will to do God's will, we create something that's holy. 
But now you know, we, we're the ones creating it, right? So, so God created the heavens and the earth, and but now we are creating with divine instruction our own micro universe through the tabernacle, through creating a God's dwelling place here on earth, the first temple. So to put it simply, whole is the space God makes for humankind. Kodesh is the space humankind makes for God. And both these spaces are created in the same way through self-effacement, through the act of simsum. So if we look at the making of the sanctuary in the last you know, third of, of the book of Exodus, it's not just about a specific construction. It's not just about a portable shrine that the Israelites are going to take with them on a journey through the desert. It's a fundamental feature of religious life, which is the relationship between the sacred and the secular, between Kodesh and Chol. Chol is the space God makes for us. Kodesh, the space we make for God. So for six days a week, the days that are whole, God makes space for us to be creative, for us to pursue our, our passions of, of work and strive. And on the seventh day, the day that's Kadosh, we make space for God and we acknowledge we're his creation. And what applies in time also applies in space. There are secular spaces where we can pursue our own purposes and there are reserved spaces set aside, holy places, which are created for God's purposes. And obviously in modern times, that's the modern sanctuary or synagogue now that we don't have a temple. But this is the first, this, that's why the tabernacle required um, so much time because this was the first effort of, of God's presence being established with the partnership of man here on earth. So if we take this idea we really have something with life-transforming implications. And that is the highest achievement is not self-expression, but self-limitation. And this is often something that's, that's often confused in modern society, right? Where we think self-expression and individuality is the ultimate pursuit. But self-limitation, making space for something other and different from us. If you look at the happiest marriages, there, there are the, it's those in which each spouse makes space for the other to be his or herself. Great parents make space for their children. Great leaders make space for their followers. Great teachers make space for their pupils. They're there when needed, but they don't crush or try to dominate them. They practice tzimtzum, self-limitation, so others have the space to grow. That's how God created the universe. And it's how we allow others to fill our lives with glory. So Rabbi Sachs's life-changing idea from Parsha Pekude is that the highest achievement is not self-expression, but self-limitation, making space for something other and different from us.